Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. And for this, our first almost official edition, it's an anniversary special, as British Airways celebrates 100 years, One World marks its 20th birthday, and it's another five years at Ryanair for Michael O'Leary. My name's Graham Dunn, joining me in the studio from the Airline Business News Hub, Lewis Harper. Lewis, it's been a busy few weeks. Hi, Graham. Yeah, it has. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a, certainly a challenging press week. We, um, we were getting pretty close to deadline when obviously the A380 programme was, was cancelled, which um, um, has some quite a lot of relevance, obviously, to the airline business audience. And we'll be covering that, I guess, in, in a lot of detail in our April issue, when, um, where we've got our special report on, on aircraft and engines. But beyond that, yeah, a, a busy, busy press, press week, as I said. Um, um, I... I been at the uh, in Munich the week before at the European Aviation Symposium, where among other things, I um, heard Peter Baumgartner from Etihad speak on on Etihad's attitude to partnerships, which is obviously a, incredibly interesting. <laughs> Very interesting, <laughs> a bit of a sore subject uh... <laughs> for them as well. But um, so we'll be talking about that in uh, later in the in the podcast, I believe. And um, and obviously, I think a key theme going into this issue was um, was some of the fringe players in Europe and the struggles there and. Um, um, with Germania and um, and since AB went to press, fly BMI. Well, well absolutely. <laughs> We're recording this uh, pod in the um, heart of uh, uh, of London, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and it, two days ago, the news that um, uh, UK regional fly BMI had um, uh, suspended services, and that's mm. the latest in you know what's been a pretty troubled winter for European carriers. That's right. Yeah, and. Um, I think in the case of Flow BMI, that certainly a niche player. I think mm. the fact that a lot of people presumed it was Fly B that <laughs> had gone under tells you that they weren't the, the biggest name, even in the UK. Um, um, so Fly B actually did have to issue a, a clarification <laughs> that it it's not Fly BMI, um, which was uh, and 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 Fly BMI this this kind of classic regional niche carrier, you know. Regional carriers and uh, niche operators have, have had to manoeuvre themselves to find opportunities, especially as the low cost segment has spread. Mm. There's a bit of a it's a tough market for, for regional carriers to some extent because if you can make a route work mm. uh, and you can create a market, um, then sometimes other players come and think, "Oh, I'll have a bit of that," and we'll exactly, fly larger yeah. aircraft in there, um, which can't. So it, it is challenging. It is, it is a tough one. I mean, in, in the case of Fly BMI, I think we're looking. Obviously, they they mentioned Brexit as a factor, and I think undeniably, um, even it's just the currency impact of that on its own is, is, is when you're on the fringes and already probably um, likely to struggle. Then that's clearly not going to help, and the uncertainty around that. But I think with Fly BMI, as you say. Um, that there were other issues there. They were a niche player, probably born more of accident than than sort of um, going organically into market. So they were they were flying some niche routes, mainly out of the Midlands in the UK. So so there there is clearly a trend that it's a struggle for these carriers. I think with Fly BMI as well, they had um, in terms of their fleet was wasn't exactly optimal. So they were flying fifty seat aircraft, um, which uh, the economics are tough, and particularly. As towards the end of the year, we saw fuel prices going up. Obviously, Dave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, I think this is one of the interesting aspects. I mean, a lot of the reasons we saw carriers struggling, and carriers traditionally find it, uh, you know, in Europe, we definitely find it um, 
challenging during the winter months uh, uh, once you get to the close uh, holiday season mm. and you tend to see carriers struggling October November time and, and obviously that was around the stage that uh, Primera had its troubles mm. uh, various other airlines scaled back but a lot of that was around this high pr- price of fuel now of course fuel the price has gone down you know it, mm. it, you know, we'd happily written all these pieces about how you know disastrous the price of fuel was, and ended the year at you know yeah. <laughs> below the 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 start of the year price. Exactly. Um, so you might have expected carriers to be, um, you know, once they got through, you know, the turn of the year, mm. um, things to, uh, you know, to maybe be able to make it through to that summer season where obviously mm. airlines make the majority of, of their money in in Europe. I think it's interesting that there's this uncertainty. Mm. Um, you, you know, which with how specifically it's tied to Brexit, you know, that's just another element to it. But there's obviously, and you've seen it in in some of the other statements from airlines out there, this uncertainty, this makes it a difficult yield market, revenue market. It definitely does. And when yeah, you, you're absolutely right on the fuel price because even when it did reach the highs that it did in 2018, still what they weren't um, anywhere near the highs that sort of in the, the medium term so I guess it is a confluence of factors that we're, we're looking at here and as you say the, the the carriers around the fringes where yeah they might not have grown organically out of you know seeing markets and thinking that that needs to be served there may be various reasons why they've come to be where they are and I think that's where the struggle is going to be and I think in the case with Germania um, is an interesting one I think um, again like you say there's lots of different factors to consider here and I think um, with Germania you You've also got to look at the German market generally, which is turning into, I think, um, what one CEO has described as a bloodbath in terms of um, high capacity, but yield just not not keeping up. Germany's been a very difficult market. I mean, there's been mm. a you know a lot of movement there. A lot of people obviously trying to move into where um, Air Berlin uh, once was, and and a lot of that went to you know very established players, mm. uh, Lufthansa yeah, through Eurowings, EasyJet, Ryanair through its Louder Motion. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of th- Carriers have moved into that space, but you saw other other uh, kind of niche carriers, and uh, Germania is a is an, a prime example of one that that looked to take advantage of that, looked to try and expand, but it always had you know on top of being quite a um, you know a challenging market in terms of uh, capacity and in terms of of, of getting the yields, mm. um, they always they also had slightly you know. Almost in the style of Air Berlin, quite a mixed, uh, mixed model. Yeah, they were trying to be something in between, weren't they? Kind of full service and uh, low cost. So um, I think it's starting to show that that might not be the best, <laughs> the best way to go, particularly in in, in the the current market as well. Yeah, you're talking about where where Germania, Germania tried to grow quite quickly um, in recent years. It saw the opportunity of Air Berlin's collapse. But looking at where it moved into, so it opened a base in Mallorca, I think, and it was adding services to Canary Islands. These are markets where we already knew and um, everyone already, already knew that the, there were a lot of people there. So um, combine that with a business model that that perhaps is best described as niche. Um, yeah, it, it, it was always going to be a struggle for them, I think. And um, and yeah, as you say, the, the theme is, I think, those, those bit part players around the edges... And um, what do they offer that maybe a, a Ryanair or EasyJet or, or other carrier and, doesn't? And, and I guess the yeah. what you're increasingly seeing in Europe is is um, you know the likes of Ryanair, EasyJet, the the big three carrier groups. They, you know, they have that you know have had many years of of, of good times to op- operate. They've built mm-hmm. up you know uh, you know strong um, 
defences, I guess, you know, so they are able to, mm. to withstand. So you did see, even when the oil price went up, that, you know, carriers, they scaled back their profit forecasts, but they're still, relatively speaking, you know, profitable times for them. And, um, you know, they, they could be more profitable, but that gives them some security mm. against it. Exactly. And an example of that might be Eurowings. So part of the Lufthansa group had a, had a tough year in 2018, again, integrating um, ex-Air Berlin assets. It, it was a tough time um, in terms of operational issues and financially, but they've got the backing of, uh, of a huge, one of the, the big three airline groups in Europe. So, yeah, naturally, they're in, they're in a stronger position regardless. So, so yeah, it's um it's a tough time when you when you're on the edges. And yeah. and of course, as you as you said, uh, uh, Flybymy wasn't even the only UK <laughs> regional with the first letters FLYB mm. to have its difficulties. And and Flyby is still working through that restructuring and that deal. It looks like um uh, Connect the Connect Consortium, which has uh, Virgin Atlantic, will uh, take control of that company. Uh, mm. But it's been pretty torrid time for them as well. It has, yeah. I don't think there are any other UK-based operators with, <laughs> with those same letters at the start of their name, but maybe we'll find out. Uh, no, you're right, yeah. And I think it's interesting that FlyB in the past few days issued uh, a warning that if this Connect deal doesn't happen, it's looking pretty bleak. I think it needs the the injection. And, um, and yeah, if that, if that doesn't happen, we don't have any reason to think it won't, but it has been a bit quiet on that front. But... but um, they're kind of the future of that that operation is is very much relying on the connect deal happening so um again there, there may be more to come on that that isn't particularly encouraging news but um i guess there has to be room somewhere for a, a regional operator in the uk so um yeah we'll we'll see <laughs> absolutely okay well um we'll take a quick break now and after the break we're going to be talking ryanair if you aren't already a subscriber to airline business why not it's easy to sign up just go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business for more information. So Irish carrier Ryanair has been back in the news and it looks like there might be a, a new role for Michael O'Leary. That's right. It's a really interesting one, actually. So they're kind of O'Leary has kind of openly praised the structure at IG and even cited um, Alex Cruz as, um, as an example of how... Um, how IG is nurturing you know, talent to bring it up through the ranks. But the key point, I think, with this is that Ryanair has just become such a complicated business with its kind of four units now. So we've got the Ryanair mainline, we've got Louder Motion, we've got Ryanair UK, and it's some Polish unit um, dealing with, with um, leisure flights. So so it's reached the point, really, where one one man running, running all of that is, just isn't working. So it's looking now to split out. So there'll be four CEOs running those units and O'Leary will sit over the top in the the Willie Walsh type role Uh, it's a fascinating thing I think just even just on the personality side the idea that someone else is going to be running kind of Ryanair mainline um, it's really intriguing to see how that relationship might might work between them well one guy who's been uh, from our team who's been following that is uh, Oliver Clark from our news hub in London and I caught up with him to talk about this move earlier today Oliver, you've been covering this story. It's a, a sort of a change of tack for Ryanair. Um, yes, I, I think uh, it's sort of a wider strategic move, which we've not seen from Ryanair. It ties in with the sort of boardroom drama that's been happening at Ryanair, where there's obviously been a few question marks around how, what will happen to Michael O'Leary when he leaves, um, you know, who, who will succeed him. And while they haven't exactly stated that they have a successor on board, I think, the idea of him moving upstairs, it's, um, 
it's both a sort of strategic move and gives shareholders an idea that you know that there is going to be a successor plan in place at Ryanair. So they will have uh, it's obviously the louder motion and they're Ryanair Sun and they'll have. Ryanair the main operation I guess as the key part and I guess that will be handing that element over is is you know quite a big thing so that presumably is where we'd look to see Michael O'Leary's successor come from uh, yes it's um it's not clear um, I, I suppose it depends to the extent that Michael can really give up the day-to-day running of Ryanair and who he would trust in that role um I think there's a good chance that we'll see an inter some strong internal candidates coming forward for that role. Um, the name Peter Bellew, who's Ryanair's chief operating officer, has been has been um, put out there. He was he was uh, uh, at uh, Malaysia sorry. Airlines, wasn't he? He was chief of Malaysia Airlines before. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he was. He's obviously had a senior role, at, um, so he has that experience. So you could see that he would be a strong candidate, and he he's taken a real uh, sort of leading. Um, position on this the, the strikes and trying to organise Ryanair's labour relations uh, recent years so he's certainly got a lot of experience of the day to day running of that airline And on the labour side uh, that's been a, a, a pretty dramatic side for Ryanair since uh, Michael O'Leary's landmark decision to recognise unions a year, well, just over a year ago are they making some headway with that now? Uh, they, they seem to be, yes. I was speaking to the chief marketing officer of Ryanair, Kenny Jacobs. Uh, he was in London uh, last week, and he seemed very upbeat as to the, the progress they made. He said that um, they didn't see any industrial unrest on the horizon this summer, which right. is obviously in some contrast to last year when there was strikes across Europe, uh, several of them coordinated actions. Um, they seem to be sort of signing a steady number of union recognition agreements and labour uh, deals with staff, both cabin crew and pilots. And Kenny said, basically, we've only got a couple of markets left where we need to do deals, which is Scandinavia and France. So you can take it that, they, that he sees Spain, Germany, UK, Italy as pretty much wrapped up. Oliver, plenty to keep you and us busy over the coming weeks and months. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You're listening to the Airline Business Podcast. To find out more, go to flightglobal.com. So, Graham, you made the short journey from our Heathrow office to um, to complete this month's cover interview, which is with British Airways' Alex Cruz. Um, it's fair to say it's an interesting time for BA. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, they're marking their 100th anniversary, but that happens to be in the year of Brexit, which is is a challenge for, for any UK-based business, I think it's fair to say. And, but also one a year where they're looking to reduce a lot of new cabin enhancements and, and initiatives like that. Um, Cruz has been in the job for a few years now. Um, he's had his ups and downs. I mean, he donned the uh, luminous jacket ages before that became fashionable. But um, so how was Cruz anyway? And what I think it's fair to say could be a momentous year for the UK. Yeah, and... yeah, absolutely. Well, I think he was. I think he's kind of excited about the uh, the opportunity. I think for, I mean, BA's, a, you know, it's been a... A hugely profitable part of IAG, you know, as a as an operation, it works extremely well, and they've done a lot of work in you know over the years, um, you know, financially to get themselves in order. But they're they're at a slightly um, interesting time because I think I think 
it, it, they probably feel it's a chance to get on the front foot and, and sort of turn the narrative into mm. um, you know a more positive um, story I guess so you have you know this hundredth hundredth uh, anniversary that's where the you know, dates back their ori- origins to um, uh, from about four carriers ago um, and they and they're being quite clever about it today as we speak they're launching the uh, rollout of their retrojet um, uh, first of their 747s which is going to be painted in uh, the form of BOAC colours mm. um, and so they make they're trying to make uh, some capital around that uh, you know and this really talking about that, the heritage of the of the airline but they're doing it at a time um, where you know there is a lot of competition and for uh, you know a lot of the established network carriers have found themselves under pressure from, you know, the Gulf carriers coming in, you know, upgrading their product. Mm. Um, yeah, the Asia carriers have always been strong on product. We've seen the US carriers starting to invest. They're finding a similar thing. Mm. And for BA, they have this, you know, this... I think with Cruise, he probably feels a sense of frustration because I think, you know, they have been investing. Mm. But a lot of what they're investing in is is stuff you wouldn't see, you know, not new bedding, changed menus, bits and pieces mm. like that. And, you know, so f- from the summer, they'll bring in, they'll have their first A350 with a new um, Club World seat. And that's going to be, you know, a, a chance to see something much more visible for them. So that becomes an absolutely crucial um, part for them and a chance for them to... Uh, to illustrate, you know, oh, we we have a you know a product to be proud of, mm. um, or, or or to try and take the fight to the opposition. I think the thing, terms. yeah, that you're absolutely right, getting on the front foot because I think since Cruise has been in the role, like you say, that they are profitable and and but at the same time, he he fairly or not has had quite a lot of negative press at times. They have had mm. the IT meltdowns, things like that, and the handling maybe could have been better, but but sometimes I think that narrative has kind of kind of overshadowed the fact that actually they're doing pretty well as you say and they are introducing enhancements and he I know he talked about as well the, the service side of things so first contact re- resolution training he was saying that's an, that's kind of new to Europe is it? Is yeah yeah it was, it was really interesting and and clearly training is is sort of a key um, part of this and I think it's probably born out of some of the experiences that they've had mm. um, on the ground you know it is, it is a challenge but increasingly people I think um, you know, you want to try and uh, empower your staff to be able to solve people's problems on the on the on the deck on the, on the ground, really, as you're yeah. doing it at the airport. And I think it's about you know, as with a lo- you know a lot of roles, a lot of companies, and all sorts of industries, people will be trained on one particular bit which they can handle, mm. and then you have to wait for the next person. So there's a there's a big initiative going on there, which um, which is aimed at kind of multi-skilling. Um, uh, staff at the airport able to help passengers, you know, with rebooking and so forth. And like, you know, and th- and he was talking a lot about, you know, giving them the equipment to do that, the technology to do that. And this is something you see across the industry that the airlines are I- increasingly looking. Can they can they use the technology to, in some way, um, you know, help s- settle some of these customer service issues before they become much wider? Because You've mm. seen what happens when, you know, and anyone remembers the the T five opening will yes. <laughs> remember how bad things can get. Yeah, and I think yeah, we're looking at BA flying quite a mature market. These little bits around the edges can make a big difference, and are possibly 
uh, some of the the best ways for the, these carriers to look to to grow mm. and, and attract new customers. They're, they're, they're mature markets, as I was saying. They're not you're not going to have a, an overnight revolution in them, maybe. But um, these these um, these things around the edges can make a difference. And um, whether you know the the press coverage next time something goes wrong, <laughs> we'll we'll reflect that. We, we'll wait and see. But of course, you, you touched on the A350s as well. BA still got decisions to make around its wide bodies in the beyond the short term. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's got. Um, there'll be a decision this year on the rest of the 747 fleet. Uh, mm. That's they 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 made a decision on replacing the very start of that, which they're doing with uh, the A350s that come in this year. Um, and I think that was all. That was relatively simple. I think there are some some routes. The three hundred and fifty won't have um, is won't have first class, so that will um, enable the seven hundred and forty seven to operate it to to replace seven hundred and forty seven on some of those routes where they don't need first class. Mm. They will be keeping first class. Um, Cruise was saying they they they're, they're doing work around that as well. Probably smaller than I think it is. And you've seen with. Um, with BA, obviously, there's there's increasing interest in that premium um, premium leisure market as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so decision on seven four seven that could be. I mean, pretty much everything seems to be in the mix. Um, yeah, because the A three eight is an interesting one because you spoke to him before the, the program <laughs> yes. cancellation, and he did make yeah, it wasn't gushing about mm. it. But um, along Willie Walsh, has, we've spoken to him in the, the past few months, and he. He hasn't ruled out the idea mm. of having more A380s, maybe second-hand. I don't know. Do you think that's still a possibility? I, think that's st- I would think that's still a, a possibility, the second-hand market. It's, you know, for BA, that, I think they were, they've been really sort of... And it, I suppose this is one of Airbus's challenges, was that you you had a, a, other Emirates. You know, I think there are airlines that see, you know, BA is never going to order another 50, mm. you know, operates uh, 12 of them. It's not going to... You could see a case for a few more, but never enough more. So, from an airline side, that makes it a bit difficult to kind of negotiate a <laughs> huge discount. And from the seller side, it's quite difficult then to persuade um, the airlines to take them. I mean, that's why you know you did see um, this is probably about you know six months to a year ago. Willie Walsh talking up the idea of you know the used A380 market, which which remains something uh, that could be of interest. They're getting seven eight seven. Dash 10s, the first of those next year as well. So there is a, a huge, you know, a big renewal there. I think one of the interesting things for, for BA and all, all airlines of that size, especially when they're trying to compete on service, on quality, you you get this, uh, you know, you have a nice new seat. So, you know, going to roll out that new seat. and But this year that will be on, you know, maybe four A350s, mm-hmm. a few retrofitted 777s. They, it, it takes two or three years for that to roll through um mm-hmm. so you know transitioning a fleet it, it's it's a long journey for, yeah. for those big carriers and presumably they're not going to want to invest lots of money in their 747s as they're you know a few years away from from retirement as well so. yeah absolutely so yeah. there's always there's always a, a um a challenging challenge issue how yeah. you manage that transition but overall then i suppose that in the year of as you say this this centenary did do you get the sense uh cruise um I guess as long as <laughs> the biggest concern will clearly be that there's a there isn't a no deal Brexit, for example, because the, there's already a lot of ambiguity around BA's uh, sort of overall ownership structure w- within IEG. I, I, I guess you're not going to get any answers because no one does on, it's, it, yeah, on it's the Brexit very, issue. You know, I thought I thought Cruz spoke pretty well on it. I think he. I mean, there wasn't too much more you could say. You could you could sort of push him around. Well, what are you going to do? And and no one really knows. No one really, mm. oh, obviously, no, no, one, no one has much idea. It's, it's, 
you know, it's a massive challenge. They've got to, um, you know, as we speak here today, will something, will there be a deal? Will there be no deal? Will there be an extension? I think even, even if there is a deal, even if there's, even if there was a deal was agreed, I still don't think you'd that certainty would be wiped out. I think you just go into this new level of uncertainty. Mm. Um, but Cruz spoke uh, quite well about you know he took. I suppose he likens it to things like the ash cloud, like the mm. um, uh, SARS. You know all these kinds of things that airlines have to ride out. Um, exactly how they do it and exactly <laughs> how damaging uh, they are for carriers kind of remains to be seen. I think. Uh, you know, I think the point he was uh, he was quite keen to to put out there, and which I think is is undeniable for not just for, for for British Airways, but for a number of carriers of those bigger carriers, they are in a better position mm. to to handle this these kind of crises than they were ten years ago. You know, the the financial crisis was the last major um, uh, shock for the for airlines generally, and they have largely. Uh, especially the larger groups, they've largely been able to make money over that period. They have improved their balance sheet. They have, you know, they have a nice sort of mix of leased aircraft and um, uh, and owned aircraft. So, you know, I don't think there's anything they can do to stop stop. You know, if there is a shock, if there's economic, if it all goes <laughs> goes disastrous economically. Mm. But, you know, I think BA and, and not just BA, I think other carriers, um, the major carriers in Europe would argue, well, there's more of a buffer there than there was many, many years ago. OK, thanks, Graham. Yeah, and the um, wasn't the only event we saw Cruise at, of course, um, in the run up to this issue. We also um, were at, uh, at One World's 20th anniversary uh, press conference. So in the next part, we'll move on to speak about that. You are listening to the Airline Business Podcast. For more information on airline business, visit flightglobal.com forward slash airline business. So um, one of the big focus pieces in, in the, uh, the new issue of airline business is focusing on alliances. Um, Graham, you were with One World um, in the run up to the issue going to press. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary and I guess looking into their third decade, what, what kind of ideas have they got to stay relevant? Yeah, it's really interesting. The alliances that uh, One World is the second of the you know of the big three global alliances, the second to have its twentieth anniversary, which is a big old time. And uh, you know that uh, it's been a funny evolution. You know, early on, as especially as a as a journalist following it, you, we just became obsessed by who's next. Who it's like almost like a, a football transfer signing. Who are they going to sign next? You know, each vying for who they're going to get in India. But, you know generally wasn't a good decision whoever they went as the <laughs> Kingfisher disaster uh, for One World showed um, so you know for many years it was all about that and and uh, I guess over the last obviously that has, that whole progress has slowed down um, partly because the carrots mostly have the coverage they need and where they where they don't have it there's not an obvious solution otherwise they'd have it by now interestingly One World you know rolling back the clock uh, announced a, a new member it's the fir- their first new member for six years the first new member since Avianca Brazil in Star in 2015. So Royal Rock, um will be joining the uh, alliance as a, as a full member. But since then, you you know everything has moved much more into. Um, so there is a lot around uh, customer recognition, um, people wanting to be recognised as you know for their tier points, you know, making sure they get 
the same benefits across the different carriers. Mm. And then really the last two or three years, it's been very quiet and they've talked a lot. One World, but not only One World, you've seen it with Star, you've seen it with uh, Sky Team, talked a lot about digital developments in the background. And it's really all around, they're all starting to roll those out now. Uh, and it is around kind of a seamless experience across the members so that if you've booked a ticket with, I don't know, Lufthansa and you've got, got an onward connection with Singapore Airlines, that you, you're you able to book your seat not only on the Lufthansa leg but on the Singapore leg and you can track your bag and you can get updates as to changes to the flight. Mm. You, all all off one app. So if you are use, you know, if you are a customer of BA... You want to? You don't want to have to then go and join Royal Emirates map to find out where you can book your seat. It's a really complex task, actually. I think it's something that looks quite easy and people expect now. But that's really where they're they're seeing their gain, I think. And it was um, whatever you think about alliances, it was impressive to see such a strong light, a show of strength, I suppose, by One World particularly. They had, I think, every mm. CEO. I think. I think that's right to say, um, including our backer. I mean, did he? How was he? Because he's not not been the most positive about no, one membership. Uh, in the... it's. It, I mean, it's really interesting. Obviously, you, the all eyes were on um, uh, Akbar Al Bakar after his his comments about the the frustrations of of Qatar within the alliance and, and within its relationships, primarily with um, American Airlines, and that obviously splits into the the wider. Um, spat with the Gulf carriers, and um, so was he sitting next to Doug Parker? There, were, there was a, there was a suitable <laughs> gap between them. Everyone was very well behaved, um, and Al Baker was was diplomatic when um, when asked, you know, directly about his frustrations. They said they was they were talking, they were you know so forth. Uh, it was it was quite inter- interesting. Obviously, they had. Um, uh, you know, getting all the CEOs in one room is quite difficult, and they all have commitments. And you know, beforehand, they, the organisers made clear some people have, you know, existing prior commitments they have to go and attend to, so may not be able to. You know, don't. You know, it's not a snub if they have to leave early. Of course, only one CEO <laughs> had to leave early, yeah. uh, which was our backer, which obviously was was, was brilliant from a metal. Um, and and half the press call went after him. Uh, I think he fended them off and all trooped back. So yeah, it was all very entertaining. And I suppose they could, um, if if Qatar does leave, they could speak to Sky Team about you know. Yeah. Dealing with um, uh, a key carrier leaving because um, yeah, Ch- China Southern China Southern left, and that mm. was, I mean that's been quite interesting. But that's a, you know, Sky Team has always been remarkably well stocked on uh, mainline China. You have the three main China carrier uh, nas- nationally owned carriers: Air China, China East, and China Southern. And it was a bit strange, really, that uh, on the one hand you had China East and China Southern both in Sky Team. Mm. Um, so from a network display, uh, before, you know, they would definitely. You know, they would rather have have them in there, but actually, from a network perspective, it's it's probably more manageable. And for and obviously, what they interestingly is that China Southern haven't jumped ship straight to One World. Mm. It's it's made a lot of ties with One World carriers, and American Airlines owns a, a you know a small small part of them. But they are uh, uh, they're, they're going to remain outside of those um, that in in terms of a different partnership. Interesting to know what Al Baker's saying to them now that Qatar Airways has got a small stake in China <laughs> Southern, I guess as well. <laughs> yes. it may have an influence over their future moves. Absolutely. Sure. And and when you're thinking of um, of Gulf carriers who have uh, attempted alliances of of their own, um, as you had Airways, I mean, you had some. 
some interesting exposure to them because since their challenges last year we've not really heard a great deal about politics. No, I think and... we, we've we've talked a lot. We're very keen to speak to, to Etihad whenever we can really to get try and get a sense of what their strategy is since since Tony Douglas has taken over it. It's um we've seen them slash capacity. We know that they're they're thinking a lot about their future. So yeah, it was great. I was in Munich at the European Aviation Symposium and Peter Baumgartner who um is now in a role where he advises Tony Douglas previously he was uh, chief executive of the Etihad uh, mainline operation. So, and he was doing a, a speech specifically on partnership. So it was, it was intriguing. Though he acknowledged some <laughs> some mistakes, maybe. Well, did in, did uh, he think any lessons were learned? Uh, one or two, I think. Yeah. In fact, um, w- one of the things he said, which probably didn't give much clarity, was that working with partners, we have learned that you do not have to buy a cow if you want to have a glass of milk. <laughs> so, um, so. He did go in a bit more. I think where, where there was detail that was genuinely interesting is one, um, he was saying partnerships are going to be even more important in the future to Etihad. So um, while they have been burnt by what they've done before, and it's interesting as well with the, all the stuff with Jet going on as well, that that in many ways looks like um, the kind of historical thing they've done where they've gone in mm. and invested in an airline that perhaps isn't in the stronger position. But, but we'll wait and see. But he certainly said partnerships are going to be critical to Etihad, acknowledged that because they were founded much later than, I guess, their, their golf rivals, for example, that they're not just going to organically do enough. So so that's clearly going to be a part. And I think on the technology side, he, he was very specific. So he's talking a lot about NDC and distribution and the opportunities now to, to sell um, directly to customers, uh, going beyond the traditional GDS selling, the opportunities that brings in terms of customising, personalization. And, and that kind of thing. And I think he was talking about a lot of technology partners being critical to Etihad. So while, yeah, it, we didn't get any answers maybe on the subjects we'd be most keen. And he was asked about Alliance membership as well. We were just talking about that. Um, kind of, I'd say, dodged the question really. So, um, so yeah, we didn't get any clarity on that. And obviously since then, um, we've learned that they, they're possibly planning to, to cancel their order for 42 um, A350s. So there's... There's clearly a lot going on behind the scenes. It'd be nice at some point if we get some clarity. But but anyway, yeah, there were there were some things that. that so you can read um, you can read all about uh, read all about that. That is the classic uh, newspaper <laughs> term, isn't it? You can you can read uh, Lewis's uh, excellent account uh, from there. It's uh, at uh, flightglobal.com. You can find all the links to the um, some of the the stories we referenced today. Uh, you'll find them on the podcast notes we have. That's. A wrap for our first um, airline business, our first official airline business podcast. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast or found it at the very least mildly distracting, um, please leave a review or tell people about it. You know, we, uh, or tell us about it. We'd love to know uh, your thoughts, comments, what you'd like to hear more or less of. We'll be back again in March uh, as Lewis uh, trailed there. We'll be talking about um, uh, aircraft and uh some of the, uh, no doubt, the A380 in more detail. Um, in the meantime, you can stay up to date on all these stories at flightglobal.com. Uh, well, thank you, Lewis, thank for coming you, today. Thank you. Thanks to uh, Oliver. We'll see you next time. If you're enjoying listening to the Airline Business Podcast, make sure you subscribe via your usual podcast app. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review, particularly if it's a positive one. Doing this helps others find the podcast and helps to make sure we'll be able to do more episodes in the future. Thanks for listening.